Masechet Moed Katan Daf 27. We continue laws of Avelut, beginning with the overturning of the bed. So actually one law before that, before that, if someone is traveling um, during, and, and um, on business and he hears that a, a relative uh, passed away, uh, so he should minimize his business. Uh, we, so we saw in, in general that one should not work uh, while one is in mourning because you should be concentrating on uh, thinking of the of the loss. Uh, for if it's a have said middle significant loss, then one is allowed to do some work for other relatives, uh, not so much for parents. Uh, this person, because he's on a business trip, so uh, it seems that that would be a significant loss. He paid for this trip and all kinds of other expenses, and he's there. And so if he can, he should try to minimize. If he cannot minimize what he's doing, it's just, you know, it's impossible. So then he can make some kind of partnership with the other people he's with. Maybe he's, uh, uh, maybe he's traveling with a, in a caravan with some other people that are in the same business. And so if they pull together their resources in that way, um, he's just joining together with them and uh, he can um, rely on their doing some of the work. And that, uh, and that way, he's, uh, it's a little better than uh, doing all the work uh, on it for himself and on his own. At what point do we overturn the beds? Which is a general way of asking, at what point does Avelut actually start? Uh, when the person dies and the relatives are onanim, and then at some point they turn to, they, they transfer uh, the status to Avelim. So, and that is symbolized by overturning the bed. And uh, answer number one is, opinion is when they close the opening of the cave. Golel is called Golel because it rolls and uh, they didn't always bury in the ground like we do today but rather in a cave. It is still basically under the ground. And so they would uh, deposit the body and then close it. And then at that point, they're officially Avelim. Uh, that's Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Yoshua said, that's sorry, that's Rabbi Yoshua. Rabbi Eliezer says, once they leave the house, in other words, when they take the body out of the house where he died. So Rabbi Eliezer says, according to that, uh, Avelut starts earlier. Uh, Rabbi Yoshua says it starts a little bit later. And here's a story. Rabban Gamliel, the elder, died. And as soon as they took him out of his house, his body out of the house, Rabbi Eliezer, following his own opinion, says, okay, now time to turn over the beds uh, immediately. Uh, then when they took him to the burial cave and they closed up the uh, the rolling stone, uh, the Rabbi Yoshua says, now you should overturn your bed. So no, we already did it. We already uh, overturned the bed. Uh, based on the elder, elder meaning to be Eliezer. This is Eliezer ben Hurkinus, right? The famous one from the Avnavachnai story, the one who had some tension with Yeshua, who said that, who was told him Loba Shemaim he. So that's these two. The Eliezer is a bit uh, is older than Rabbi Yeshua. That a Bangam Liel is much Hazakin is much older. Bangam Hazakin would be two generations before that, and so this might actually be a mistake and actually be referring to the Bangam Liel of Yavne, 
that's the, the second Rabban Gamliel, and he was a contempt, older contemporary of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yoshua. And so it makes sense that he would have died uh, during their lifetime. Uh, in fact, the, the Talmud Bavli told, tells us the story of how he died um, uh, uh, when Rabbi Eliezer prayed uh, because Rabban Gamliel had excommunicated him and so on. And so that would be interesting if then, then the Eliezer comes and also gives instructions at his home and he's the one that prayed for him to die. Okay, it's not clear if you should, we should put together all the different stories about these sages. Uh, but the, anyway, there are two manuscripts that do not have the words that can. Um, uh, they are two Sephardi manuscripts, pretty good manu manuscripts. On the other hand, the vast majority of manuscripts, including a Yemenite one and a Geniza fragment, do have the words that can. So perhaps this happened early on in their careers when they were to be Elias and be Yoshua very, very young, and uh, they were uh, still around when Ibn Gamaliel Hazakan died. So it is definitely possible. And then actually that would make it more reconcilable with the other stories uh, about Rabbi Eliezer causing the death of Rabban Gamliel. All right. Okay, now uh, we overturn the bed when people uh, begin to mourn. Then when Shabbat comes, there's no public mourning on Shabbat, which means um, people are going to be coming over and all that. So they have to make the beds upright on Friday afternoon. Oh, so when should they do that? From Mincha time, either Mincha Gedola, Mincha Ketana, right? A couple of two and a half hours or so before Shabbat, uh, they should already start preparing and uh, make the make, make, put the house back together. Um, this is never they even know we're uh, making the beds upright. Uh, a couple of hours before Shabbat begins, the mourners, no one should be sitting on them until, on, on it till it gets dark. In other words, they are still technically in mourning until Shabbat starts, so they should be uh, sitting on the floor, wherever they're, or wherever, um, until Shabbat begins. Once Shabbat begins, then they can sit normally on the, on, on, on the regular beds. And then once uh, Shabbat ends, uh, they should overturn the beds again. Uh, even, even if the Shabbat is their sixth day, and then Sunday would be the last day of their Shiva, which means they'd only be sitting for a few minutes on Sunday morning. Nevertheless, they have to overturn the bed to reflect that we're going from Shabbat to a weekday. We are back in morning mode. And uh, even if it's only one day, a few minutes, one uh, overturned it again. Okay, there is an interesting Ramban here that says, well, you know, if, if you... <clears throat> Yeah, you also the whole night, wouldn't they be sitting it on, on, on the whole night? And Amban infers from here that it would be possible actually to uh, sit just for a few minutes at night, Saturday night, because that's the seventh day, the night starts in the, the day starts in the night. So one could sit a few minutes on Saturday night and that's it, get up. You don't have to wait until the morning uh, to sit for a few minutes. So that's an interesting Ramban, Allah is not like that. Okay, uh, note that Tosafot says, nowadays we do not do this overturning of the beds uh, for uh, various reasons. One of them is our beds are not made the same way as they were made before, would be kind of uh, not, do doesn't make sense to be sitting on the, on the opposite side uh, of an upside down bed. And so we don't do that nowadays. However, we do something instead, which is 
Avelim do not sit on regular uh, chairs. And that's not mentioned anywhere in the Talmud that we would sit on a, on a, on a low chair or cushion or anything like that. Uh, so basically, instead of overturning the bed, nowadays, uh, that's what we do. We sit either on, uh, on a cushion, on the floor, on a mat, on a low chair, uh, things like that. Um, okay, there, these halachot uh, remind me of, you know, when, when someone does pass away, uh, so someone calls the uh, the chavra, the misaskim, and they come, and sometimes they come immediately even before the burial, which reminds me of the opinion here of Rabbi Eliezer, that uh, sometimes, you know, as soon as uh, as they call, already they're preparing from the day before, and then the question is, when should they come and pick everything up? Uh, so these are relevant, not exactly the same way of, of overturning the bed, but in the equivalent of what we do today. Here's another difference between what we do today and back then. Uh, someone who uh, overturns his bed, not only his own bed should he overturn, but also all of them in the house. In other words, not just that the mourner should not be sitting uh, in a comfortable way. It's more. It's also a, symbi- a symbol that oh, you walk into the house, you say, this is a house of Avelut, because you see all the, all the beds. They didn't, have, they didn't usually sit on chairs at you know benches and stools, but they didn't have uh, chairs the way we do today. So you go in and everything is overturned, and that really shows uh, their their minds over you know their their lives are have been have it, or have been overturned. And so you do it with, with all the chairs in the house, and that'll be very dramatic. And if he has ten beds in ten different rooms, maybe uh, maybe in uh, in another house. He so sometimes he says one house. He stays, sometimes stays in another house. All of them are overturned. Even if there are five uh, brothers and one dies, and each of them have their own homes in which uh, in that they live in, that they're sitting in, then they overturn all of the beds in all of the homes. We're going to see a couple of exceptions. If it's a bed that's used for storage, sometimes you know, people have like a, a you know an extra bedroom, and the bed there they put they uh, put clothes clothing on it, or they put other things on it, just used for storage. No one ever sleeps on it, so then that already became like a um, you know like a table or a chest, and so you don't have to overturn that one. Uh, something called a dargash. We're going to see two opinions about what this is. En It's a bed-like item that you do not have to overturn. Rather, you could just set it upright. Um, and that's sufficient. And it's not usable. That's Tanakama. Rabban Shibam Megami Omer, Dargash Matiret Kar Bitav, Hunofel Me'elav. No, instead of uh, making it upright, just loosen the, loosen the loops, and then it will fall down on its own. It has some kind of loops and some kind of contraption, and uh, then it will fall down. It's not clear who is Me'kel and who's Mahmir. It would seem easier just to pick it up uh, on its side, but maybe it's some kind of heavy item, and maybe it's easier to uh, undo the loops. All right, now we want to know what, what this item is. It is a good luck bed. Uh, sometimes I would have an extra bed somewhere in the house um, that was ornamental, like a, kind of you know, like a day bed people have in their living rooms that are uncomfortable to sit on. It's just there to there for show. In this case, maybe it's more, more like Kisesh uh, Eliyahu, where no one sits in that chair. Eliyahu comes. This is good luck. So people would have in their in their home some kind of good luck bed. And since no one actually sleeps in it and it's not constructed in a normal way, and therefore you have to do something for it because it is a kind of a sleeping bed, but it's not a regular bed. 
Okay, so now we're going to bring a few challenges to Ula and ultimately reject his definition. Challenge number one. When a king is in mourning and it's Pesach, so then everybody will be on the floor and the king, it's not nice for him to be, to be on the floor, he will recline on this item, this Dargash. Now here's the question. Is there anything that a person would not normally do, but now that he is a mourner specifically, he's going to do differently? And if you think a dargash is a, a good luck bed, so no one, the kings and no one else ever sleeps on a dargash. And all of a sudden you're going to say now, well, it's, you're in mourning, but it's Pesach. So now we're now lay down on the dargash. We wouldn't, we don't do, we wouldn't use a dargash now if we didn't use, never, if we never used it. Um, okay, we're going to answer that question by saying Matkif Rav Asher. Asher is going to reject the question um, here of Rabba. Well, what kind of question is that? There's a lot of things that we do differently on uh, for a mourner than one he would do normally. For example, uh, eating and drinking. Until now, we do not feed uh, feed him or give him to drink, right? Especially a king. Uh, you know, king eats of his own. Most people eat of their own food from their own money. And all of a sudden now, when someone's in mourning, uh, then the community relatives, they come and bring food for him. So that's an unusual thing to do. So too, maybe a, maybe a king would now do an unusual thing. And uh, so it could be, Asad, it could be a, a good luck bed that is never used uh, normally and the king would use it. So this is not really a question. Okay. Rather, if you're going to ask a question, here's a better one. Okay, a Mishnah that we just read said that you do not have to, or Braita actually, it was a Braita that we just read, uh, says that you do not need to overturn a Dargash, um, but rather make it, uh, turn it upright. Well, if it's a sleeping bed, uh, if it's a good luck bed, so then why not? After all, that is still a bed, uh, even if it's a good luck bed. We just learned this source that uh, when one overturns the beds, he overturns all the beds. So a good luck bed is still a bed and therefore should be overturned completely. Uh, so that's the second challenge to Ula, that it's a good luck bed. And then we reject this also. It's not true. Not all beds have to be overturned. Just like a bed that's designated for uh, storage does not have to, uh, you know, storage that you put clothing on it, whatever. But just like um, something for storage does not need to be overturned, even though it is a bed. So too, so see, there are some beds, if they're not used for sleeping normally, then they do not need to be overturned. So it's, you have a perfectly fine definition that Ula gave, that a darga is a good luck bed. And that's why it does not need to be overturned in the normal way. Okay, third try. This will be a charm. Uh, so in uh, that same braita, 
Rashbag said, this Targash, you don't have to make it upright, but rather you loosen the loops and then it will just fall on its own. So you don't have to go through the trouble of overturning it altogether. It will disassemble if you overturn, the, if you take out the loops. But a good, life, a good luck bed doesn't have loops. Uh, we don't. Uh, we don't know exactly how this. What these look like, but apparently they did not have loops, and so Rashbag cannot. Uh, and Rashbag assumes that it does have loops. Therefore, it cannot be a good luck bed. Good luck bed do not. Good luck beds do not have loops. Dargash does have loops, and so therefore we reject that opinion altogether. And we have now a second opinion. Ravavin came from Israel, and he quoted. And the name of a sage who was Rav Tachlifa from the West, from Eretz Yisrael. So it makes sense, Ravin, who is from Eretz Yisrael, would deliver this tradition. And he uh, was uh, often in the leather market. So he knew about this. It's a leather bed. Uh, there you go. Okay, so it is, in fact, some kind of bed, but it's a leather bed. It's constructed differently than most beds. Um, and this, uh, now this makes more sense. Uh, Dargash has its loop, its lacing from the inside. In other words, like this, uh, when you lace this, uh, uh, the, the leather on it, uh, you use these ropes and you do it through, right through the, 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 the bars on the side, uh, right through the frame, whereas a regular bed uh, does not go through the frame, but around the frame. And so that's a, that's a difference in the way that they are constructed. And if you say it's leather, then that solves all the problems that we had before. We follow halacha that you have to undo the bed, uh, the, those loops, and you cannot, it's not enough, it, it's not good to uh, simply uh, put it up on its side. On the other hand, a tent bed, a canopy bed, uh, we don't have a picture here, but uh, you know what this looks like, right? It's a bed and it has two posts, one at, one at the head and one at the foot, and then you would put a, um, uh, a, a tenting on it. So because it has those two posts, you can't overturn it. Right, the posts are in the way. So in that case, you can make it upright on the side, and that is sufficient. So you see here that the point of overturning it is not simply to sit on the other side. This would be able to sit on the other side, but rather to show that we are not going to rest uh, in a nice, comfortable way, um, but rather that everything in our lives is now overturned. Good. Another halacha about this. Here's very interesting. Even if one uh, sleeps on a chair, not comfortable, or on an overturned mortar, like a stool, and sleeps there, or sleeps right on the floor, he did not fulfill his obligation to uh, overturn the beds, because Rebichia says he has to physically, he did not fulfill overturning the beds. The point is, it's not just about being uncomfortable, right? That's going to be part of it. If all the beds are overturned, he's not going to have a, a nice good sleep in a regular way. But all, but in addition to that, this is the symbolism of actually overturning all the beds in the house. Good. 
one can uh, sweep, sprinkle water to, they had dust floors, so they would sprinkle water after you sweep, like a clay tennis court, right? After you, after you broom it, you have to uh, sprinkle water on it. So you can do that. That's the way to make the floor nice. So even though it is a beta veil, people are coming over. And so uh, it's appropriate to make the floor look nice. And uh, uh, you can also wash the bowls, cups, jugs, pitchers in the house of a mourner. People are coming and they're, they're, they're eating and drinking. Uh, what, uh, so that's all fine. But you do not bring incense and spices into the house of a mourner to make it smell nice, which one normally would do when you have guests over. But Bet Avel, even though guests are coming over, it's not a place of enjoyment. Hold on, we have a contradiction because another Brayta says that you do not say a Beracha on the incense and uh, uh, besamim in the house of Avel. This just says that you don't say a Beracha, but that implies that you would bring it. Because if you if you don't bring it if you don't bring it at all, you should say don't bring it. Then obviously you're not going to say a beracha. If you don't say but if you're saying don't say a beracha, it implies that you are bringing it. No, it's different. One is in the bet avel. Uh, bet avel seems like the place where the avel himself is staying and sleeping. Uh, on his own. So there, um, there one should not bring anything at all. Bet Menachamin is where the Avel goes, that room where he's greeting other people. In that case, you can bring Bessamim uh, because there's lots of people there. And so to be uh, more inviting to them, uh, one is permitted to bring some Bessamim. Some say this is the opposite. We're going to see in a, in a few minutes that when there's a the, the the body of the deceased is there, one may have spices because the bodies didn't smell good, uh, didn't have refrigeration or anything. So there, one is allowed to have spices. But that's once the once the person is buried and they're only coming to visit, that would be the bet menachamin. Then no spices would be allowed, and that ends up being the opposite conclusion of this one. And next Mishnah says, What does when the visitors come and bring food to the Bet Ha'avel, it'll be the first meal or all week long, people are, people want to want to honor them and, and uh, make them feel better and bring food. Uh, so they, they should bring food, but they should not bring it in a fancy way, not in a, in a tray called a tabla, not in a bowl, not in this narrow mouth basket, but rather sal, a regular basket, be uh, in a cheap way. Okay, back to Cholam Finally, uh, uh, when uh, someone does a burial on the holiday, uh, for sure, Cholamoid, maybe Yom Tov also, we do not say Berkat Avelim like we would normally do uh, when we, that this, we say this nowadays during the special Berkat Amazon. Uh, for the Avelim, Baruch Menachem Avelim. Um, but we do stand in a line um, to uh, greet and give words of Necha, um, give words of Nechamat to the mourners after the burial. And when, then we tell everybody, go home. In other words, we'll make a quick, a quick burial because it is the holiday. You have to, you have to, you can't wait till after the holiday for the burial. So you do a burial and you do, so you do the beginnings of the normal ritual. And then you tell everybody, okay, now go home and enjoy the holiday, have your regular meal because we don't want people to be involved in a, a funeral all day long on a holiday. And Menan Manichina Tamita Barchov, Shelol Hargil at Ha Hesped. 
normally when, when there's a funeral during when there's a, a, a burial during the week, uh, we put the we put the coffin in the middle of the market and everybody will come and visit and say words of eulogy. And even when they are taking it to the cemetery, they would stop every few minutes uh, because they don't want to show they're in a rush and um, like the uh, Spanish Portuguese do, do till today. So that's done in a regular weekday. But on the holiday, we do not do that. We do not leave it out. We do not leave, stop and leave it in the in the middle of the of, of the street because we do not want there to be uh, eulogies. We, there was, eulogies are not allowed uh, during the, during the holiday. And we do not put the the, the bodies uh, corpses of women. Uh, out in the street at all because it is dishonorable. Uh, seems something to do with that. The, the body may have may, may be bleeding and it's not honorable. The Gemara will discuss this further. Okay, Gemara. Tenora banan. So it used to be a long time ago that uh, the uh, people would come to the Beit and, and the rich people would come and uh, bring uh, their food in baskets of silver and gold. Poor people would come with just uh, peeled willow branches, uh, uh, baskets made out of those. Uh, and so then the poor people were embarrassed uh, because they're, they're, they're looking, they come and they look like you know, like uh, they're, they they don't care, like they're nothing. Uh, embarrassed in front of the uh, the rich people bringing the gold and silver, and then they didn't want to come and uh, and and visit the mourners. And so the rabbis made a takana: whenever you're coming to a beta veil, everyone should bring the simple uh, baskets made out of willow branches, so that everyone will feel equal. It's not it's not a time to uh, be showing off, right? How much how rich you are, how. How much you you care? As if you you know if you're if you bring gold and silver, you care more about the mourners. So that's not 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 the time and place for that. When they that's when they would bring food in the baskets. When they would bring drinks, then the rich people would bring in white, kind uh, of some kind of fancy lalik. Uh, 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 jugs and the poor people all they could afford is the colored ones. I would think the colored ones would be more expensive, but apparently the white ones were very special. And the poor people were all embarrassed. So the rabbis made a, made a decree everyone, when you're bringing drinks to the mourners, only in colored glasses. This is very interesting. At first, they would have a, an open casket a funeral for rich people. They, they would reveal the face of the rich people and that, we you know, everybody would come and say, oh, look, they would uh, increase people's mourning to actually see the face. And uh, for poor people, they would not. They would cover the face. Why? Because the faces of the poor people were darkened by their by by famine. Right when there's a uh, so when someone has lack of lack of nutrition for a long time, their skin turns dark, and so they were embarrassed to show that their loved one is uh, it looks so terrible. They would not. But the rich people, oh, they looked. Um, you know, they uh, they could show off how 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 beautiful they looked. How healthy they looked, and so the rich poor people were embarrassed. So they made a decree: no open caskets. Everybody should be covered 
so that no one feels bad. Uh, first, they used to take out the bodies of rich people in this dargash. So it's not a what well, it's not a normal bed, but it's some kind of a stretcher that was fancy. And then poor people they would bring just in a very plain old stretcher. Uh, and they were embarrassed. And so they made a decree: everyone should be taken out on a very plain stretcher, so that. Uh, no one would be embarrassed, but so first they would bring, uh, put incense uh, 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 under anyone who died and had intestinal disease because that would cause a smell, and so they wanted to cover up the smell of the deceased. When those who were alive who had some kind of intestinal disease, they would see that. They were like, oh, I smell so much. Look at the bodies. Look what they have to do. And they would be embarrassed. So they said, you know what? We're going to make incense for everybody. Uh, all bodies that die will have incense with them uh, so that those who are alive and may have uh, some, some uh, intestinal disease that causes them to smell will not feel bad. At first, if someone, if a woman died while she was nida, so they would go and bring all of her vessels that she used before she died and bring them and to put them in the mikveh because she was nida. In other words, they'll see that from her body that she was nida, and then they'll go ahead and do that. And then all the women who were nidot were embarrassed. They're like, you know, uh, you know, the, if, if I die now, the people will know that I'm Nida. It's a private matter. And so uh, they, they just, just seeing that, they made them feel embarrassed about being uh, Nida. So they said, you know what? Anytime a woman dies, we're going to go and take all her vessels and put them in the mikveh, just in case uh, she was Nida. Maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. But it's nobody's business to know. And so it was done by everybody. Okay, same thing for men. Uh, if, uh, if, if, if when they, they saw the body, the man that died, and so he was a zav. So oh, he was tameh. Everything that he had was tameh. So they would go and dip in the mikveh all of the vessels that he used. And then people, men who were alive or were zav, they were embarrassed. So they said, "You know what? It doesn't matter. We're gonna anytime anyone dies, woman or men, we're gonna dip everything that all their stuff, and no one needs to know whether they were nida or zav or zava." Uh, nobody's business. It's an amazing, amazing uh, testimony that it uh, uh, used to be that the uh, um, taking care of the dead was more difficult for the relatives than the death itself, right? One this thing is that they lost a loved one. And now they would come and say, oh, here's the bill, right? You have to pay for all the, the funeral expenses uh, and the shrouds, you have to pay this huge amount. And they, would, uh, they were more upset, uh, more distressed over the bill than they were the fact that they lost their loved one. And it was to such an extent that uh, when people couldn't afford it, they would just leave the body there and run. They would just, you know, just abandon the body so that they wouldn't have to pay for the uh, expenses of the burial. 
a terrible situation. Until came and he said, Wilson, when I die, I, I want you to treat me lightly. Treat me uh, 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 like, a, like, like a nobody. And uh, he was buried in linen garments and he did that himself. Uh, to show is perfectly fine. And then, and then everyone used just linen garments, even if they were important and rich and they could afford more, um, because otherwise you make it unaffordable for uh, people, for, for poor people. Nowadays, everyone practices this and not even linen, even hemp garments that are cost just a dinad. They're very cheap. That's what we use. Until today, uh, this is the, the this is the custom. The burial shroud, shrouds are made of just like it's canvas material, very cheap. It doesn't matter who it is. And the uh, coffin itself, uh, we don't, we don't, we just use regular plywood, very cheap coffin. Um, and our cemetery also is a, a, a standard height for the stone uh, that you can use. No, no building high stones, mausoleums, anything fancy. And it doesn't matter who it is, the poor person or the richest person in the community. Um, they, uh, they have the same, uh, they have, they have same, same expenses. And of course, anyone who can afford it, the chavra uh, covers the expenses. And so this is uh, we, you know, a very important lesson that we learned from this Talmud that is, is still practiced until today. And manichin barechov. Okay, Mishnah mentioned, mentioned that on Cholamoed, uh, even though you do have a funeral, you do not put the uh, body in, down in the street uh, so that people can eulogize over them because we don't want eulogies during the holiday. There's an exception. If it's a great sage, then uh, there is no, no holiday for a sage. In other words, even if it's Cholamoed, we put the coffin down and we do say words of eulogy, even on Cholamoed, and all the more so Chanukah and Purim, uh, because we can't just let it go by and let the person be buried with nothing, right? We have, people have to learn and be inspired from the example of the Tamid Chacham. But that's only when the body is actually there. Afterward, the, the body is buried already, and then we do not make, a, make eulogies, only for the honor of the body when it's there. But uh, otherwise, we would not make any eulogies, even for a Tamil Hacham on the holiday. Any contradiction. Rav Kana gave a eulogy uh, uh, for Rav Zavid, who was from Nahardea, while Rav Kana was in Pum Nahara. So he was in a different city. He heard that Rav Zavid died, and he gave a eulogy not in front of his coffin. It was the same day, and being the same day is as if he's in his presence. So that day that he uh, he died, uh, even if it's not physically in the presence, temporally it's at the same time, and therefore uh, one should, one is, is allowed to make a eulogy. If it's not in front of him, it's not that day, then don't do it the next day on Cholomoyed, then wait till after the holiday. Amar ula hesped alev, dichtiv al shadaim sofetim. Now, even though we, the word hesped, we use generally as just as giving a eulogy, the technical term is an act that one would do is for mourning, which is beating one's, one's, one's heart or beating one's chest. Uh, that's uh, was something that people used to do when they were in mourning. Tipuach beyad 
Kilus Baregel, whereas Tipuach is another thing people would mourn and go like this, you know, whoa, what was me that they lost their loved one and uh, they would uh, slap their hands. And Kilus is when one slaps his, uh, when stomp, stomping on the ground. Uh, so you can just imagine an ancient funeral that everybody, you know, they had professional whalers wailing and, and you had some uh, musical instruments playing dirges and people were, were pounding their chests and stomping on the floor and, you know, the, the kind of the noise noise of that would um, rile everybody up to feel deeply uh, the, the tragedy of the loss. If you're going to do this kilus here and stomp on the ground, do not use a sandal, but rather a proper shoe, because sandals are not uh, don't give so much protection, and they might fly off, and then you're going to stomp on the ground and uh, hit something sharp, and therefore don't do that. We give the same advice now to grooms that when they break the glass, they should use their heel and not just the soft part of their soul because it has happened that the glass has uh, gone through and then they had a hard time dancing. This important lesson. Don't bother the, 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 the mourners too much. When the mourners, you know, we, uh, it gives a nod to his head. In other words, he's, he bows down a little saying, thank you for coming. Uh, then that's it. You're not allowed to stay there and, uh, and uh, uh, hang out, extend your stay. Um, that's it. You get up and, and, uh, and say and leave. Okay. I mean, yeah, the mourners are sometimes overwhelmed with a lot of people coming. So don't, you know, don't be insulted when they say, thank you for coming. All right. You made your visit. Everyone has to stand up when an Asi walks in, except for when the, the patriarch walks in, except for someone who is mourning and someone who is sick. Right. And this would apply to other people too. If the rabbi walks in, right. Everybody has to stand up, but uh, someone who's sick, you can't expect them to now have to stand up, right? Rabbi, and the scene, rabbi is coming to visit the chole, make him feel better, not to make him uh, extend himself and stand up. And Avel also is permitted just to stay seated. Well, let's say you're the nasi or you're the rabbi and he's getting up, right? Then the, the Avel is getting up. You should not, you, you should not tell him, sit down. If anyone else, if a rabbi walks in, because I can sit down, sit down, I, you know, mochelan kavod. But you, when you avail, you don't say sit down, because in that you're, you're implying, I want you to sit longer, right? May you continue to be an avail. We don't want to say that. Similarly to uh, similarly someone who's sick, uh, you don't, when he, if he's trying to wait, get up for you, he's trying to honor you, you don't say, uh, stay down, right? As, as if you're saying, stay sick. Uh, so rather, you you just say you know don't don't you know no no need to bother for me relax, uh, but uh, you don't say it in a in a way that might imply that you're uh, bring wishing bad upon him. Avel is not allowed to eat from his own food on the first day. After all, Shem tells Yecheskel. Um, uh, d- uh, when when his his wife dies, uh, uh, do not eat. Um, do not eat the bread of men, uh, and that indicates that mourners have to eat. Do have to eat the bread. In other words, you Yecheskel, you cannot practice mourning. That was his uh, special. Even though your wife is dying, everybody else does. So for everybody else, they must eat the bread of other people to bring, who bring it. Rabban of Yosef 
um, if they ever were both mourners at the same time, they would simply switch their meals, all right? One would provide meal for each other. Um, I guess they didn't have others to provide meals for them, and this was a simple way of uh, solving both of their problems. Amar Rav Yehuda, Amar Rav. If someone dies in a village, nobody in the village is allowed to work until the body is buried. Point is, we want everybody to be involved and a lot of things that need to be done. And so that way, when if no one's working until it gets done, then you'll be sure that they'll prepare for the, for the dead soon. And then they can go back to work afterwards. Now we have a story about this halacha. Rav Amunai went to this place called Darumata. He heard a shofar being blown, indicating that someone in the town had died. He's walking around. He sees people doing work. They're working in the field. They're working in the store. He says, I'm going to ex- excommunicate you. You're going against this law that I've said. You should go and get involved in making sure the burial happens and not work. Don't you know that there's a dead person in the, in, in, in the town? Did you hear the shofar? You're ex- excommunicated. They told him, no, no, it's okay. There is a Chevra Kadisha here in this town and they are already designated. They're already on the job. They're taking care of it. Since there's someone that we know is responsible taking care of the burial, everyone else is allowed to work. And that's why nowadays also uh, everyone can work because we know that the, if, and there is a Chevra in the town. So that's the case. I released the excommunication. <laughs> they can go back to work. Very amazing, because until now, we've been talking about the importance of uh, taking all the more, taking the morning very seriously. But now we say there is a limit. Anyone who is, uh, grieves excessively over his dad, um, he will end up having a, another reason to grieve Another relative of his will uh, will die, and he'll have to cry more. There was a woman once in the in the town of Ravuna, and she had seven sons. Another story about a woman and her seven sons. One of them died. Okay, poor woman. We understand she's very very sad to lose a lose a son, but she was uh, she was grieving excessively. And Ravuna sent to her, stop doing that. She couldn't bring herself. She was just too, too, too distraught. She didn't listen to him. The harsh words says, if you listen to me, everything will be okay. If you don't listen to me and continue to cry and mourn excessively, then you're going to have to make preparations for another death. Prepare shrouds. For yet another son. Well, sure enough, she couldn't control. All of seven sons died. Then he said, prepare for yourself, prepare provisions for yourself, shrouds for yourself. And she died also. Okay, poor woman. Um, uh, what, 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 what's the reason? We'll see here. Right? Weep not for the dead. Now, do not bemoan him, meaning not too much. Uh, it's appropriate level. Um, you know, in that case, the, the, she's a mother. She's got to 
She's, uh, she has a lot to live for. She's got to take care of her other son. She can't remain in a state of total depression for her whole life. So there's uh, one, one has to mourn. And then afterwards, one has to uh, be comforted. Right? Do not bemoan him more than is the uh, allotted amount. Three days, it's appropriate to cry. Cry a lot. That's, get it all out. Seven days for mourning. That's including the three. And then it becomes successively lighter. 30 days, no uh, pressing uh, iron and clothing and haircuts. If, go, if a person is uh, continues to have a severe grief after that, then Hashem will tell him, what are you, you think you're more merciful than me? I gave these commandments. This is my decree that this is a person's time. And so, yes, of course, you have to uh, mourn for the loss, right? That just as it is important to mourn for the loss, so it is important to recognize uh, Hashem is merciful, and this is the way it is, accept it, and uh, then move on, uh, move on with, uh, with the world of the living. The same pasuk in Yirmiya continues and says, weep uh, sore for him that goes away. What do you mean, laholech? Where is he going? If someone dies without children, then one can cry even more because that person has no one to succeed him. And that is uh, more sad than when a person dies who has children. In fact, would not go to a mourner's house. And he had other things, he was learning Torah, he was doing involved in other things. But if someone died without children, he would make a point of going to that bit avail to comfort because they need a lot of comfort. Right, weep so from that goes away, for he shall return no more to see his native land. So uh, this, and this understanding is referring to not having anyone to return, not having someone to uphold the legacy of that person. And so Rabbi Yosho ben Navi would would go to uh, part of the morning, part of the morning, visiting the mourner, visiting the house of the mourner is to have a, a memory, remember the, remember the dead. There's no children to remember this person. So that's why it's even sadder and he would go for that. That's one interpretation. A second interpretation of this pasuk is, What does it mean? Someone who um, who, uh, someone who doesn't, who doesn't have and he does it again, and again, and lo yashub, he does not make teshuvah. That person is not going to see the world, the world to come. Uh, he will not see it is more And so, uh, therefore, um, it's talking about, you know, one should be extra sad for someone who is a regular sinner who has no chance of coming back. Uh, so this is Rav Huna. He follows uh, his own opinion, which he says more uh, broadly, uh, as he says, Once a person does a, uh, transgresses once, and then again, it becomes permitted to him. We ask, does that mean now really he's permitted? You only get one strike, and now from now on, it's okay, he's off the hook? Rather, in his own mind, 
he, he treats it uh, as if it's permitted. First time, you know, first time someone goes eats a, 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 a ham sandwich, right? he feels guilty about it. And the second time, then he just gets used to it. He doesn't even feel guilty uh, about it anymore. And so that's that itself is a great danger. And lastly, uh, the uh, mourners also should fear uh, that maybe they might be next. Uh, so for the first three days, he should consider himself as if a sword is is there between his uh, be, between his thighs or some other side between his shoulders. If he survived those first three days, so from three to seven, he should still be worried as if there's a sword uh, on the on the corner of the room. So it's still frightening, not as frightening if it's right or not on top of you. After that, it's not in his home. But when he's going out, you always you know looking over your shoulder. It's like uh, there's someone uh, with a sword out to get you, and so he's always uh, worried about it as he goes in the marketplace. Uh, this might have been uh, relevant if uh, if the, his his relative died from some kind of contagious disease, and so it's around in the house. So yeah, take precautions. I don't know, wear a mask or something, and uh, to make sure that he won't uh, get it as well. Over as well, once uh, time passes, then chances are that. Uh, he will be he will be okay. Baruch Adonai Olam. Amen. Amen.